The text for this afternoon's service is taken from Psalm 25, the verses 1, 2, and 3. We will read that once again. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 71, the stanzas 1, 3, and 13. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, shame, we're all familiar with it. No doubt you can all remember an episode in your life where you were so ashamed that you could crawl into a hole. I can certainly remember incidents like that in my own life. When we think about those times, we still blush and feel uncomfortable. We can feel the blood rising to our heads again. There are many things that will give us feelings of shame. When I was in my teens, I had a lot of acne. I tried to cover it up with creams, etc., didn't want to go on any pictures, I felt ashamed. No doubt, some of you teenagers can also identify with that. For when you are a teenager, then you are especially aware of your body image. I don't think I've ever met anyone yet who is totally comfortable in his own skin. Young people are often ashamed of certain body parts or body shapes. But that's also true of older people. Sometimes older people don't want to go on pictures either because they look so old and wrinkly. Or when you're middle-aged and you have put on a few extra pounds, then you also feel a certain shame. You don't want to see pictures of yourself then either. You don't want to be seen in a bathing suit. You're ashamed of your body somewhat. There are many other things that we are ashamed of, things we have done in the past. Sometimes we are ashamed because we don't have nice and beautiful possessions or fancy clothes or can't afford exotic holidays like others can. And so I can go on giving you examples as to the kinds of things that bring us shame. Some people will exploit our feelings of shame because they know that that is your Achilles heel, that is your weak point. Your enemy will exploit it. They know what bugs you and the things that you're ashamed of. And then your enemy will use your feelings of shame to ridicule you. He wants to embarrass you and cause you shame. There's nothing new under the sun. David, the author of Psalm 25, begins this psalm by exclaiming, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do you know what prompted David to write these words? Well, the psalm does not give us a specific event in his life or the occasion. But it is clear why, at this point, David calls upon the Lord. David is overcome with shame. And he is distressed. And he is being attacked by his enemies. They are making him feel like a failure. And therefore he now turns to God for comfort. The question is what makes him so anxious? 
and who exactly are his enemies. What precisely is David's shame? What is he so embarrassed about? The question for us is, how does David's distress and shame apply to us in this day and age? What are we to think of shame? Some people think that when you blush because of shame, it is a sign of innocence. Is that true? What is shame? Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Whatever it is, it is painful. And David turns to the Lord in his anguish, for he knows that only with the Lord can he find relief from his feelings of shame. He knows that the Lord will turn his shame into glory. That's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. In his great mercy, the Lord turns our shame to glory. We will see three things. First, the cause of shame. Secondly, the purpose of shame. And then finally, the victory over shame. David finds himself surrounded by his enemies. As I said, we are not told who his enemies are. Although it is not known when this letter was written, many commentators believe that it was likely written near the end of his life. For David refers in his psalms to the sins of his youth. It appears that David, as an old man, is reflecting on his life. And he sees all the evil around him, and he wants to put it all into perspective. For David had quite a life. In his youth, the Lord favored him by anointing him as the successor of Saul as king over Israel. God had honored him above all men. And David was to be king. Out of him, even the Messiah would be born. But did that mean that the Lord God would spare him hardship and turmoil in his life? And that he would not encounter difficulty and opposition? That he would from then on in have a life of ease? No, on the contrary. David's life was full of anxiety, full of hardships. Constantly he had to look over his shoulder to see who was trying to do him harm. In his early life, King Saul relentlessly pursued him, trying to kill him. And during his kingship, there were many plots to overthrow him and to make his life miserable. And David was most severely grieved by his son Absalom, who tried to defeat him. The hostile nations around Israel tried to do the same. Constantly, David had to protect himself and God's people from the enemy. But the biggest battle of David's life were not the battles outside of the borders of Israel, nor were they against the physical enemies of God's people, and nor were they the battles that he fought within Israel's borders itself against his fellow countrymen who would try to undo him. No, the biggest battle that David had went on within his own heart. And David's biggest battle was against the evil forces that constantly threatened to take over his heart and to undo him. It is within that context that David writes about shame. He says, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Why does he need this reassurance? Why does he say this? What exactly is David afraid of here? 
Well, when you are put to shame, you are reminded of the fact that somewhere, somehow, you have failed. And that you do not quite measure up. You are reminded of the fact that you have fallen into disgrace. Shame has to do with defeat. And that is something that brought to mind a very specific picture to the Old Testament believer. For in those days they really knew how to humiliate someone. One of the things they did, for example, was to parade the defeated enemy in front of the captors in a humiliating way. For example, they would strip them naked and poke fun at them and make them a laughing stock. At times they would also mutilate them by cutting off their thumbs and big toes and by gouging out their eyes. They would reserve that treatment especially for kings and other high officials. And now you can understand why David prays that his enemies not exult over him. He does not want to be captured and humiliated. And that is why he prays for the Lord to be with him always. He wants the Lord to win his battles for him so that he will not know defeat and come to shame. But the defeat by one's external enemies is not his greatest fear. No, he knows that with the help of the Lord he is able to defeat his enemies. That has happened time and again. There are other things that bring shame upon him. The enemies that have a greater impact on him are those within the borders of Israel, his fellow believers and his own friend. For they can bring shame upon him in a way that strangers cannot. They know things about him that strangers do not know. And they use that knowledge as a deadly weapon. For they have the ears of other friends and can adversely influence them in their opinion. They can put you to shame and make a public spectacle of you. They can hold you up to ridicule and leave you absolutely defenseless, speechless even. They can add to their character assassination by also telling outright lies about you, just so that others will despise you. When brothers and sisters in the Lord do that to you, then you feel especially ashamed and dismayed. And that's what David refers to elsewhere in Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14. He writes, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with a throng at the house of God. His friends inside the church were a much greater threat to him than he once outside. He knew how people talked. He knew how some would delight in his downfall. They would say, this is David, the man of God. Look at the kind of man that he is. What a failure. Look at the things that he has done wrong in his life. Look at all the terrible things that he has done. And look at also at his family. It's a dysfunctional one. He doesn't even know how to bring up his kids. Look at how some of his kids have turned out. One of them even openly rebelled against him and made him the laughing stock of the whole nation. Another one raped his half-sister. That's the kind of family David has. Is that the kind of person you want as a leader? Is that a man of God? David knew the kinds of things that they were saying about him. He knew how they were trying to bring shame upon him. How they would even tell lies about him to try to make it worse than it already was. 
And isn't that also our experience? Young people, I hope you're listening too. This week, the doors to the school are going to open up again. How will you treat the new students or old students, the ones you don't get along with? Are you going to say bad things about them or treat them with disrespect? Or will you show yourself to be a Christian, someone who is kind and gentle? And that's the kind of a behavior God expects from us. And that's what others expect from you as well. We expect slanderous behavior from people in the world. That doesn't surprise us. But when that happens by a friend or by someone from the church or in our Christian school, then the victims are particularly distressed. That's not expected amongst us. And then the victim, they will wonder, as David did, how is it possible? How is it possible that it happens here amongst us? It makes you question all the people of the church. It is enough to want to make you walk away from it all, from God even, who does not appear to protect you from this kind of thing. But that's not what David does. He doesn't walk away, does he? Actually, he does the opposite. David calls upon the Lord. And that is what you have to do when someone treats you in a mean way. For you see, at times, victims, at times we ourselves, the perpetrators too, we have to see our own sins. We have to see our sins all the time. David turns to the Lord because he is aware of his own sinfulness. He realizes that ultimately he is the author of his own misfortune. In verse 7 he pleads, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. David realizes that ultimately he is the author of his own troubles. The Lord God always wants us to look at ourselves first. And that's what David does. He knows that he brought shame upon himself in the first place. For he was not a good father. He was a sinful man. Oh sure, David was a man of God. Even a man after God's own heart, time and again the scriptures tell us that. But it was not because he was a man without sin. On the contrary, we know about the terrible sins of his life. He was an adulterer and a murderer even. And he had many character flaws. And he knows that he was not the best of fathers either. David realizes these many things. He remembers the things that he has done wrong. And the memory makes his face flush. And sets his heart pounding. Those memories fill him with pain and sorrow. For what is shame? What does it do? What is its purpose? Come to the second point. Shame reminds us of our own sins. Shame exposes us for what we really are, wretched creatures. It strips us naked before the eyes of others. It removes the mask that we have put on, the mask of perfection, the mask of competence and composure. 
the mask of decency and kindness. Shame is the reaction to the realization that others got a glimpse of that which we thought hidden. And when that happens, you are filled with contempt, contempt for yourself and contempt for others. And then you want to do one of two things. You either want to hide or you want to lash out. For when you are exposed in such a way, you are so ashamed that you want to crawl into a hole, never wanting to resurface again. Or your anger is aroused so that you blame others for bringing you to shame. And then you attack them. Tell them it's their fault. And do you know why we react in that way? Because we want to maintain the false image that we have. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are all at core image, or better said, idol worshippers. For what is man's biggest idol? Well, his biggest idol is himself. And when you worship yourself, then especially you will be put to shame. It says in Psalm 97 verse 7, All who worship images are put to shame, those who boast in idols. If you are so concerned about your own self-image, then you will also have a false sense of your own self-worth. And then when someone makes a derogatory mark about you, about the way you look or the way you act, then you feel shame. Think about the original sin in paradise. That's where it all started. Adam and Eve wanted to worship themselves and be worshipped. They did not want to serve God but themselves. And they sought to be equal to him. But that plan failed miserably. As soon as they ate from the tree, they were filled with shame. They knew there was something seriously wrong. They were overcome with shame. They tried to hide their shame behind some leaves. What a feeble attempt. They thought that their sudden, lustful, self-seeking desires could be covered up with leaves. And when the Lord confronted them in their shame, they tried to hide at first. They wanted to crawl into a hole. They did not want to gaze into the eyes of their maker. They were terrified. But they couldn't hide. And so, when that failed, then they went on the attack. They tried to blame each other. And then they blamed the snake. Is that not also the way we react when we are put to shame? Do we then not either attack or hide? At times we hide because we do not want to face anyone. Especially we do not want to face the Lord. And once we realize that that is not possible, we will try to make excuses for our behavior. It's our fallen nature to rationalize our behavior, to do as much damage control as we can. We will tell ourselves and others that whatever we did was not really anything to be ashamed about. After all, others have done worse things. What we did wasn't really so bad. And not only that, look at the situation I was in. I had no choice. You would have done the same thing. If you'd been in my shoes. And so every tactic in the book is employed in order to try to get out from under the shame. Note well that David does not do that in this psalm. 
And that is why David is a man after God's own heart. He is a sinner, yes. But David is a man who time and again repents from his sin. He doesn't walk away from God. He does not hide from his accusers either. Nor does he attack them. No, instead David turns to God. He admits his sin. He acknowledges the reason for the fact that he has come to shame. He looks God square in the face. He does not turn his face away from him. No, he seeks the God of his salvation. For that is where he knows he will receive the forgiveness of sins. God will not reject him. He will not turn him away to leave him in his shame. That is why David is also able to exclaim, No one whose hope is in you will be put to shame. Note well that it is in a form of a statement. David knows this as a fact, for he has experienced that time and again. When he confessed his sin regarding Uriah and Bathsheba, for example, he knew that he no longer needed to be ashamed. David no longer had to go around with downcast eyes. For the Lord exalts those who humble themselves. The text says that no one that hopes in him will be put to shame. You can also translate as the RSV does that those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. To wait for the Lord. We have such a hard time waiting for things, don't we? By nature, we are an impatient people, especially in this day and age. We want what we want now, no delays. This is the world of instant everything, instant soup, instant coffee, fast foods. We don't want to wait. If we want something now, we should not have to wait for it. Do you want something now? Buy it. You can have instant credit. Young people grow up in such a society. It is a society that also says, why wait for marriage? Do whatever you feel like now. You only live once. The text says, hope in the Lord. Wait for him. If you do, you will not be put to shame. Think about what he wants, not about what you want. Ask, how does God want me to conduct myself? And only if you wait for the Lord will you find true fulfillment in life. For he will also vindicate you. We come to the third point. To the second point. There are those who feel little or no shame. That is because they do not want to be confronted with their sins. They do not want to humble themselves before God. Their sins do not bother them any longer. They have learned to make excuses for their behaviors. In other words, they have grown away from the Lord. They don't know him any longer. And thus they do not know about the wonderful grace of God either. And so they have become worldly, arrogant. Modern man wants to do away with shame. According to him, it has no positive function. This society sees shame as a byproduct of self-esteem. The psychologists of today will tell you that shame comes about because you see yourself as being bad. Because it concentrates on your flaws. Man, according to him, is basically good. 
You feel shame only because of what others do to you. They want to impose their standards upon you, and when that does not happen, you feel ashamed. The others are to blame for your feelings of shame, therefore. You are merely a victim. If only you learn to ignore the morals of others, can you be truly happy. There are no morals except those you set for yourself. To your own self be true. Do whatever feels good. But what does the Bible tell you? It tells you that shame arises because of your sins. Shame is God's gift to you to declare to you that you are a sinner. Shame is therefore not a sign of innocence, but it is a sign of guilt. It is to remind you that you stand naked before God. It is to remind you and me that only he can clothe you and cover you. Only he can give you the cloak of righteousness. Only he can give you a white robe. A robe as pure and white as fresh snow. Only he can make you whole and complete. And therefore shame instead of turning you away from God must open you up to him. Shame is like the pain you feel when there is something physically wrong. Pain warns you that you have been damaged. So does shame. It tells you that you are damaged goods. And if pain is bad enough and persistent enough, then you go to the doctor. You ignore pain at your own peril. Shame ought to make you go to the doctor as well, to the great healer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For what did God do to take away the shame? He sent his own son in the flesh to this world full of sin and misery. He emptied himself of the glory that he had with the Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He had to withstand the barbs of the evil all around him and to have the sin of the world visited upon him in body and soul. For this world ridiculed that righteous, sinless Savior. He became our shame. All the shameful things of this world were brought upon him. We can hear the forces of evil all over the pages of the Bible as they triumph over the Son of God. Think about Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He became a creature clothed in shame and humiliation. The most shameful thing that happened to him was that he was nailed to a cross. For there he suffered a most shameful and terrible death. Forsaken by men, forsaken by God, totally and utterly rejected because of the sins that were laid upon him. Oh, the shame of it all. Oh, the horror of it. The agents of Satan stand around him and taunt him and ridicule him. We can hear their laughter and their contempt. Where is your God? If you are God as you claim, then why don't you save yourself? Oh, how our Savior bore our shame. What a vicious assault on the Son of God. 
And why did he bear all that humiliation? Only because so that we would not have to suffer that shame. For now, what can we do in our shame? We can do something that the Son of God could not do in his hour of the most terrible shame. You and I, we can turn to God, just like David does in this psalm. He bore our sins. He had them nailed on the cross with him. They were buried with him. He triumphed over sin. He did away with sin. He conquered Satan. Our Savior faced the enemy square in the face. He did not flinch as the assaults were unleashed upon him. And he also refused to turn away from his Father in heaven. He trusted in him alone. He knew that he would be victorious. He never failed to put his trust in his heavenly father. He resolutely defied the evil one. Listen to what the suffering servant says in Isaiah 50, the verses 6 through 8. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. So far from Isaiah. And now do you know who laughs, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? It is God. He spits Satan in the face. And that is his victory for you and for me. Now you too can laugh at the evil one. Satan cannot touch you. He cannot harm you. The Son of God has already defeated him. You do not have to be afraid of your sins. As long as you turn to God, you do not have to be ashamed of anything including your physical limitations, including the fact that you feel defeated because of your failures and shortcomings and character flaws. The Lord God has, re- has vindicated you. As long as you turn to him in repentance, he will give you his victory, acquired by his son. He turns our shame into glory. That's what it means to belong to Christ. And that's the good news that you could hear again this afternoon. What a joy that is. What a joy that is to hear time and again. What a joy for such comforting proclamation. What a wonderful God we have. He is your God, my God. Your shame, my shame, he took upon himself. Be thankful. Amen.